Big Fluff. Hey, thanks. That was fun. Uh, a lot more fun than working for Travis Cole. You worked for Cole? All of us have. I had a life, a house, cars, respecting the community. Suddenly, it was all taken away. I think I finally realized just how low I'd sunk one day when I was at my daughter's soccer game. She lives with her mom. And I was standing on the sidelines, and a cop came up and asked me to move along. That's when it hit me. I'm not even a human Here's your two dollars. <laughs> Everybody, I'm Joel Murphy, and I'm Andy McIntyre. This is Silver Linings Playback, the podcast where we watch maligned movies and we find their silver linings. Uh, and this has been a great month, easily the best it. month we've ever done. <laughs> I, I'm, hmm, I don't know if I want to go that far. I will, in terms of I love all these movies. Okay, in, in enjoyment of movies, uh, but I don't know. There've been some other months that have been uh. The toy month was really fun last November. That was really fun. Yeah. That, that I think, would give this a run for its money. Um, Ninja Turtle month was a good time. Oh, yeah. I take it back. They've all been great. Yeah. Except for the... I've enjoyed all the episodes we've recorded for 2023. I have relative quality to movies. This might have been the slowest start we've ever had. The Oscar bait month was rough. That... I think broke us a little bit. It did. I think that's why we're here. I think you can trace a line from us having to watch mostly Blonde and Babylon. And f- completely different reasons. Yes. But uh, but yeah, it broke us a little bit and we decided one for us. Yeah. So these are movies that I think you could make the argument that the movies we've been watching this month are really in the true spirit of the show because... These are movies that I think are unfairly maligned, are not quite cult classics, and deserve uh, people to know about them and know about what's good about them. They are also movies that you and I both dearly love, but also if someone told me they hated any of these movies, I would not be surprised. And I don't even know that I would argue with them. I'd be like, yeah, I I get that. I, I I might even say, though, that the movie I would put up the greatest fight for is this week's Dirty Work. Interesting. Of what we've watched so far. Yeah. I, um, I don't know. I feel like I'd fight for, for Temple of Doom a little bit. That's fair. I mean, I would fight for all. I mean, I would fully accept that someone's like, I don't like that movie. I'm like, you're wrong, but I'll allow it. I think this week is interesting. As you say, we're watching Dirty Work, and I think that it's similar to last week when we did Cabin Boy in this regard, which is you either like the comedy of the protagonist who wrote it, or you don't. And it's it's an all or nothing proposition. Yeah, it's it's in or out. You either think Norm Macdonald is funny or you don't. And if you don't, you're going to hate this movie. And if you do, you're going to find it hilarious. Yeah. Um, and I was thinking about uh, sort of right before we started recording. 
was I think one of the first times we hung out socially outside of an improv event was to watch Dirty Work. That sounds 100% correct. Yes, I believe I think, that is true. Um, I mean, we both we met doing improv and I think the first like out of improv thing that we connected on was pro wrestling. 100%, yeah. Uh that was the first that was our first like, ooh, this this guy likes the thing that I like. Uh and then I think the next thing was dirty work. And I think that was our first social hang was that wasn't like going out after the show or like whatever, uh, not standing in the parking lot of a synagogue in <laughs> Roland Park right. for two hours, just BSing, um, I think it was to watch this movie. And so, you know, which I want to say came about our heart. I want to say came about, too, because we were just talking about it. And then we're like, we should go watch that <laughs> was probably yeah. about how that happened. Yeah. And we're like, hey, let, we're not doing anything Saturday now. It, it it we may have watched it and then watched a wrestling pay per view afterwards. That even sounds more correct. And I also, having saying all this, it's a really full circle month for our friendship because not only are we here talking about and watching Dirty Work, but we are coming off of the fact that you and I just went to WrestleMania together. That's so. true. We did just go to WrestleMania together uh, not too long ago before recording this. We should have done some improv somewhere in there. I think we did. We did enough bits. That's true. And also this show is, you know, there's, there's a fair <laughs> tightly amount of scripted. Yeah. Tightly, tightly scripted <laughs> to the word. But no, Dirty Work. Um, yeah, I. I love this movie. I think it's hilarious. Uh, and, you know, I think we I think we need to dive into why even more so than just the fact that like it, a lot of this hinges on how much you like Norm Macdonald's particular brand of sardonic humor. Right. For sure. Uh, but I think there's a little bit more to it than that. I would also, want yeah, I want to try to explore that a little bit. Cause we could, we could talk for 150 episodes about how much we love this movie. And Norm Macdonald. And Norm Macdonald. Yes. Who just to be clear at the top, if it's not clear from everything that we're saying, I believe is one of the funniest people to have ever lived at the same time that we lived. Yes. I just yeah. I truly think he was a brilliant and original comedic mind. And it was a huge loss when we lost him. And I'm still not quite over it. Yeah. And I think related to that, and this is something that I texted you. Uh, the cast list of this movie, Norm MacDonald, Jack Warden, Artie Lang, Trailer Howard, Don Rickles, Christopher McDonald, Chevy Chase... A bunch of extras, Chris Farley. If you were to tell me that the person that one of the people that made it out alive was Artie Lang, never would have believed you. Yeah, the fact that we lost director Bob Saget and star Norm MacDonald before Artie Lang, I think would honestly surprise Artie Lang. I was going to say, you know who else is surprised that he did? He has made it thus far. Yeah. Artie Lang. Yes. Um, and ditto Chevy Chase. Yeah. I mean, Chevy He's, Chase is just for the 80s alone. <laughs> yeah. He did a, a lot of cocaine. Yeah. As did everyone that was cast on SNL in the 80s and 70s. But yeah, we have lost a fair amount of the people. That, I mean, some of them were like, we lost Don Rickles. Yeah. And he was, I mean, he was old when this movie came out 20 years, 25 years ago. 
Yeah. And sadly, Chris Farley, I believe, passed away before this came out. This is one yes, of the last things about, that he filmed. About six months after they finished shooting, which was about seven months or about six months before this got released. It was pretty shortly after they finished shooting. Yeah. Um, Chris Farley is, I think, another person on that list of funniest people that I have existed at the same time as. 100 percent. Yeah, he would. And I mean, I think that that's one of the things I, we're obviously going to dissect why this movie is maligned. But I think uh, one of the wonderful if you've never seen this movie and if we can possibly convince you to watch it after listening to this, it is stacked with just comic greats that clearly Norm Macdonald loves and wrote parts for. Mm-hmm. Because there is not a single person that is in it that. You know, like it wasn't like Norm Macdonald wrote a script and was like, who am I going to cast in this? Chris Farley's part's written for Chris Farley. You know, yes. Chevy Chase's part is written for Chevy Chase. Jack Warden's part is written for Jack Warden. <laughs> like Don Rickles' part is written for Don Rickles. Don Rickles' part is Don Rickles. He's yeah, not he's even just playing himself. Yeah. Which I mean, and him and Farley are both largely improvising. I think the only one that is possibly not specifically written for the person is Adam Sandler playing the devil. But, you know, I mean, it's still very Adam Sandler. Yeah. Um. Also, can we take a moment to mention that Jack Warden was in 12 Angry Men? Yeah. <laughs> that, just... that, is, that bears mentioning uh, <laughs> one of the all time great single set movies of all time. And not like. He's not like the 12th man that you're like, oh, yeah, he's one of the main angry men in that yes. movie. Yeah, he's he is like one of the leads. Yeah. He, like if you have seen 12 Angry Men, you will remember him from that. And he, you know, is in one of the greatest, most well-respected movies of all time. And then is in this just being a dirty old man. And and loving it. Yeah. Which is delightful. Yeah. Um, so I think this is sort of tangently related to the idea that you either get this movie or don't like this is lowbrow. Oh, yeah. Like this movie, like we talked with Cabin Boy about it being smart, dumb comedy. This is expertly done lowbrow humor. 100%. Yeah, it's just it's, it's not, not a think piece. No, it's not trying to be smart. It's just trying to be funny. Um, and, 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 you know, comedy being one of the more subjective mediums, uh, you like it or you don't. It's also probably worth mentioning at the top, too, that this was written to be an R-rated comedy and was submitted to the MPAA and got an R rating, at which point the studio wanted it to be PG-13 and made them make a bunch of changes to the movie to get a PG-13 rating. I and and most of it was forced to be done with ADR looping and like coverage angles and cut it. I mean this is an 80 in. minute movie, also just cutting stuff as yeah. well. But yeah, it's all ADR. There was no reshoots, there was nothing. So it's like it's one of those things where I, you know, no one's ever seen the R-rated cut. And in fact, it there were sort of rumblings before Bob Saget uh, died that he was trying to put together an R-rated cut, but was also not really finding a lot of the original footage. But 
Uh, I, I don't know if this would have been better if it was R-rated, but I do think that the fact that it, it would have probably at least been better if it had been meant to be PG-13 and wasn't forced to have ADR and all of that type of yeah. things. I, I will say one joke I think that is funnier in the edited version is uh, when they get arrested mm-hmm. yep, and they go to jail. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there's stories about the types of things that go on in jail. And uh, while they're being released, uh, Norm MacDonald says, you know what makes me the most angry? It's the lack of respect. Well, that and the other thing. But mostly the lack of respect. Uh, apparently in the R-rated cut, he does say anal rape. And I think it's funnier without him saying that. It is. Yeah. I mean, that's why I'm, I'm like, I can't definitively say as much as I love Norm MacDonald. Sometimes you get better comedy from working around limitations. Like, I do actually think that's true. That sometimes when you don't, and especially someone as, as much as I love Norm MacDonald, Norm MacDonald not reined in at all is maybe not the smartest thing. And I think Norm MacDonald would even have probably admitted that. That, like, if he's allowed to say anything he wants, that's a dangerous proposition. Guess what he's going to do? Yeah. I mean, look, watch watch the Conan O'Brien clip where he is on there with uh, Courtney Thorne-Smith and she's trying to promote chairman of the board. If you want an example of what Norm MacDonald will do if nobody stops him. (laughs) (laughs) That's one of the greatest late night television interviews of all time. It really is. And I like... And I think it made me like Courtney Thorne Smith even more because she's like, I I agree with every word he's saying, but I don't know what to do. Right. Where she's not in any way offended or upset, but she's mostly just in her head. She's there to promote a movie with Carrot Top and is just trying not to openly laugh at a hilarious mocking of the movie that she's in. Yeah. Um. But yeah, and I think that, you know, some of the probably the reason that this movie didn't maybe hit right away, because it has developed a following. And when people found this movie, they really were able to get into it and dig it, uh, I think, is the fact that they had to cut a lot and a lot of it's rushed. Um, but I do think they cobbled together a really good movie. Oh, yeah. And I, I mean, in 1998, when this came out and I watched it and loved it. I was not aware of any of that. I didn't know that it was supposed to be R-rated. I didn't know that it had been cut, and I loved every minute of it. (laughs) I think it's maybe, by the way, also worth mentioning in total fairness. And again, I, as someone who loves Norm MacDonald, Norm MacDonald, of course, was an SNL cast member. And I think if people ever watched him on there, they already know this, and it's true in this movie. He's not a world-class actor or character (laughs) you know like he's a guy who's gonna be norm mcdonald and i think part of the charm is his sort of laid back pretty you know just apathetical acting style (laughs) yeah it's um it's Anybody else trying to do it would sound like they were just reading lines. Um, and it's, you know, he 
he acts like he does stand up. And I don't mean that as a compliment. Right. And yeah, and it's all of the acting. If he's cold, he's literally shivering like an elementary school child would in a play. If he's upset, he's making honestly, it's very just to tie it all together to uh, another actor who is in this. It's very Vince McMahon acting. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Everything is over the top. It's not subtle. No. There's not nuance. No. He's not um, feeding off the energy of his scene partner. No, his scene partner doesn't matter. He's just saying the next thing. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And, you know, and delivering it like a stand-up comedian. And that's, you know, that's it. Which, again, I mean, made him not the most diverse uh, Saturday Night Live character actor, but... Look, man, I'll tell you too. watch him be Burt Reynolds. Watch him be David Letterman when he was yeah. on. <laughs> like, yeah, he could do. He had those two characters. The Letterman was actually pretty accurate. The Letterman is dead on. Yeah, the Burt Reynolds is fun. The Burt Reynolds is a character. It's a fun character. But the David Letterman is David Letterman. It is. Yeah. You could honestly with deep fake technology, if you really used that could probably make it look like Letterman and convince someone that it was a real clip. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like his Burt Reynolds was a character in much the same way that Daryl Hammond's Sean Connery was a character. Right. And they were both like, it wasn't an apt Sean Connery impression. It was a character. Well, and both of them acting opposite of Will Ferrell's Alex Trebek, which was in no way anything like Alex Trebek. No, other than he looked a lot like him. But he sounded nothing like him. Nothing. No. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, Will Ferrell, his W was really good, but not the best impressionist that's ever been in SNL. No. Well, also, I mean, just to his make it. Reno was pretty good, too. <laughs> but to make a full circle, when SNL started and Chevy Chase was on it, Chevy Chase's Gerald Ford was them saying that he was Gerald Ford and him falling down. Right. That was the impression. There was no yeah. attempt to. <laughs> Dan Aykroyd did not shave his mustache to play Jimmy Carter. We call that Caesar Romeroing. Yeah. <laughs> Why he had white stuff all over his face, completely different reasons. Well, it's because it was the 70s. Yeah. I mean, Caesar Romero also, I think, did a lot of cocaine, but. Yeah. Anyways. Um, yeah. And I mean, Bob Saget directs this movie, and it's his first movie. And. It's the directing is fine, which is it's his first full length theatrical movie, not counting the student Academy Award that he won for a documentary that he made in college. Yes. Want to give him uh, full credit. Oh, yeah. No, I, I love Bob Saget. I think that he is an underrated it, just because people don't know enough about how good his stand up was. Um, he was, I think, a very good actor that he could sell the schmaltz that was Danny Tanner. Um, and you know, it played sincere and, you know, like it's, it was like a fun trivia, like, oh, Bob Saget directed Dirty Work, huh? And then he went on to do a lot of other cool stuff. I will say that in defense of his directing, which I'm defensive about for some reason, I, which I, I don't like, I think visually it's, it's very just functional. Like, I I don't think that it's, he's doing anything spectacular, but I think that the benefit of having Bob Saget 
who is a comedian, who is very funny, direct this, is the comedic timing of this movie is on point. And you can hear it in that opening clip. It's like that laser timing of here's your $2, like hitting at the exact right point of just the jokes land. And I think that that is the important thing. You know, there's no, there's no like cinematography that's going to blow you away in this, but everything is staged in a way. Every time Norm Macdonald's thrown into a dumpster or thrown out of a building, you know, the way that it's shot, the way that it's staged, he knows how to land a joke. Yeah. Like Bob Saget can land a joke. And I think he does that very well in this. But I would say in much the same way that we are grasping at silver linings when watching a Caddyshack 2 movie, uh, I'm grasping at reasons to malign it because you're right. I mean, like the directing is exactly the directing it needs. It's not flashy. It's not necessarily memorable unless you really parse it. Like, oh, wait, no, this guy clearly knows how to direct a comedy scene. Um, let's just. Let's just have and pivot. Let's well, talk about how great this movie is. Well, Unless you I, have one more thing. I don't want to say one more thing. Just just to, as a one more catch all, because I can feel someone out there would feel this way about the movie. And again, as a big fan of Norm MacDonald, he often says things that are indefensibly uh, offensive, I guess. That, that sounds weird to say. But like he has a sense of humor that I, I think is brilliant, but also leans into... Very problematic areas. I think probably making this a PG-13 cut instead of an R-rated cut tamps down on a fair amount of that. But there's things in this that maybe haven't aged super well or things in this that weren't great at the time. I think it's just a broad brush just to say that. Yeah, I mean, I I will say like nothing made me cringe the way some other movies that we've watched that are a little bit older. Um, oh, I and, think for a 90s movie, it aged a lot better than a lot of other <laughs> 90s well, and, movies. And to plug another Peak Sloth podcast network show, uh, is it for real? Uh, you know, they've definitely watched some things back that are very cringeworthy. And I think this movie, uh, I would hope that they would find it for real if they watched it. I would hope so. I would hope so. But either way. um. Yeah, there's like, and there's just verbiage and and stuff that, uh, you know, wouldn't fly today. And that's not like in a, you know, you can't be funny in 2023, but like, there's just like, language has evolved. And that's, I think, just an objective fact. Right. Like, I don't think that they would have referred to Chris Farley, the woman who Chris bit Chris Farley's character's nose off as a Saigon whore. Probably not. The sex worker, I think, would be preferred. Yeah. Now, um, although I, I mean, Saigon Horror is punchier and it hits better as a joke, but still. Well, also, Chris Farley's character would call her that. Yes, a hundred percent. Even which, in twenty twenty three, which I do think is sometimes lost in those conversations, is we as a society should be evolving and making language better. But sometimes characters in movies can say things that are terrible as a character if the character themselves is terrible. And he is a person who, at least the second time that we see it, definitely deserves to have his nose bitten off. Yes. Um. So, yeah, I think that that is an important thing to put out there. Uh, let's, we can let's, pivot. Yeah. Let's pivot. Let's pivot. Um, let's just start with Chris Farley because we're talking about the man. Dude, he kills it in this movie. This is arguably the funniest work he put on screen, 
and, and on movie screen. Whoa, that is wow. I'm gonna say it. I I mean I would say Tommy Boy, but I mean I think Tommy Boy is a funnier movie, but I think that Chris Farley's bits are funnier in this. I I'd say like bang for your buck. I mean he's not in this movie very much, and everything he does in this movie kills. Yeah, that that's I think that's the point I'm making. Yeah, I would agree with that. Uh, no, I, I I do like if I had to rank like which. I don't know. I might I might like this movie more than Tommy Boy, but I think I I think I'd have a not a strong leg to stand on to argue that it's better than Tommy Boy. Either way, but like when Norm Macdonald says, "Well, at least I didn't have my nose bitten off by a Saigon whore," and the camera pans over, "You bastard!" bastard. <laughs> and like when he's like. Perfect song, Rolling Stones, Street Fighting Man, G Savon. If you like pina coladas, uh, when he's like getting ready to release the skunks at the end, all sing of it. the song, boys. Yeah, it's uh, he's great and he's hilarious and it's uh, well, also you haven't mentioned the scene where Mitch asks him if he can stay with him after Sam kicks him out, and it's. So clearly an improvised scene where Chris Farley is just riffing and he goes into this long, weird story about how he lives at the Y and he has a creepy roommate who watches him sleep. And you can see that Norm MacDonald is trying not to laugh and it is truly ridiculous and hilarious. Yeah, it's uh, (laughs) no notes. Yeah, no, it's great. And then the end where he gets his nose bit off again. Yeah, his surgically reattached skin graft nose gets bitten off again because by the same Saigon whore because he's dating her again and he's terrible to her. <laughs> yeah, it's within uh, five minutes of them reuniting. Yes. Um. Yeah, it's uh, he. This movie exemplifies just what a loss he was to the. the the pantheon of comedy like well, and it it is a strength that i think we could do this with every cameo of norm mcdonald knew what was funny about chris farley and gave chris farley a character that allowed him to play into those strengths yeah um and it was it's it's great uh can we while well, since you mentioned g7 if you like pina coladas I think that entire scene is a silver lining. I love that scene so much because (laughs) there's the there's all of that. But the whole reason that they have the fight is because uh, Sam is hitting on this woman. And so her back is to him. She does not acknowledge him in any way. And he's just trying to talk to her. And then a, a frat guy comes up and also tries to talk to her. And she ignores him, too. And then they start fighting over which one of them gets to talk to her. At which point, the only line she says is, you guys should fight about it. (laughs) And like, that's great. And then it's just (laughs) like when uh, Norm MacDonald has to get involved and just all of the, wait, you get a pool cue? (laughs) That doesn't seem fair. That doesn't seem fair. Note to self, learn how to fight. All of it. Fantastic. Well, and then 
it sets up <laughs> like the the next scene might have my favorite dumb joke in the movie uh he prank calls the frat house mm-hmm. explaining that there are guys traveling yeah. around to frat houses dressed as police officers uh and like stealing from them and stuff it's me and- neil yeah it's like yeah bro it's me neil um it's like so yeah if they come they're not the real cops they're gonna rob you yeah and then as soon as he hangs up he's like he dials the phone like hello real cops yep yeah beautiful absolutely Uh, beautiful so good so good and i love it i love it i love it it's so funny it's so hilarious it's so perfectly executed it's also uh, Artie Lang saying that he wants to go over there and fight the guys, and Norm Macdonald saying, yeah, they're probably tired from beating us merc- mercilessly. <laughs> um, yeah, and, you know, and there's a lot of great jokes like that throughout the movie. Uh, we played it as the opening sequence, but Jim Downey's weirdo hobo character is hilarious. Yeah, let's take a moment in the same way that we spotlighted because people know Chris Farley, but people might not know Jim Downey. And just if you don't recognize him and you don't know that name, he is one of the most unsung, hilarious people on Saturday Night Live. He was a head writer for SNL. And then when Norm Macdonald took over Weekend Update, Jim Downey and him wrote it together, the two of them. Yeah. And to my knowledge, I don't know if he did more, but the only two things I remember him having cameos in are this and uh, Billy Madison, where he plays the guy running the quiz at the end. The principal, yeah. Um, Which is, is that also? No, 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 that's uh, Happy Gilmore. That's not, it's, um, what's his name from the West Wing is the villain in in Billy Madison. Oh, is, yeah, I can't think of his name, but yes. But yeah, so, you know, but in that movie, you everyone remembers him, too, because he's, you know, there will be no cheating, especially with my wife, who is a dirty, dirty whore. But Downey has an ability. Part of it is just his voice and his inherent just even keelness. It's just so dry is the wrong word, but dry. Yes. And I think what it is and why I love that opening clip, and it really is one of my favorite moments in the whole movie is and we were talking about Keenan Thompson I think last week where I think being a straight man is underrated and I don't think it gets enough credit and I don't think a lot of people are good at it because people don't trust it and they want to be funny and they want to be silly and so they don't do it Jim Downey if you listen to what he's saying is 100% sincerely telling a story about the moment this man lost his humanity. He's going to see his daughter at her soccer game. He's standing outside the fence watching her. A police officer comes up to him and tells him to move along because he is homeless. That is a tragic story. He plays it tragically because he knows how funny it is that Norm MacDonald cuts off a story about a guy talking about losing his humanity to go, here's your $2. That I just paid you to run through a bank acting like a lunatic. It's it's so <laughs> shitty in a, like, <laughs> absolutely hilarious way. And I know, like, Downey gets that and plays it perfectly. And I think a lot of people would try to get a laugh themselves and it would ruin it. No, like, that... 
it, he knows in a way that I think Keenan Thompson knows too. The important thing is that the scene gets a laugh, not that the individual gets a laugh. Right. You're setting up Norm MacDonald and it only works if you are that sincere. Right. And the fact that it's not overplayed and it's this guy is clearly broken. And, yeah. you know, is it, so numb to the the world around him because of the way it's been tragic. And it's it's it, it's great. It's it so really good. is. No, he's it's so good. He's brilliant. Yeah. Jim Downey seriously is also one of the funniest people on the planet. Yes. Uh, one of the funniest writers of all time. Yes. And I think it, had he been willing to perform more, we would have said the same thing about him as a performer. I, I mean, only know him from two things, but he crushed both of them. So I have to Just assume. knocked them straight out of the park. Yeah. And, you know, it's. Like, I would even say that, like, Adam McKay, who I think has burned up all the goodwill that he built up for me, I think was set at the learning tree of Jim Downey. And that's where he learned a lot of his comedic writing. And you can see it when he was on SNL and a little bit past that. And then decided that uh, he just wanted to make PowerPoints and call them movies and, you know, went off the deep end. Yeah, when he decided to go from being one of the greatest comedy directors of all time to a more annoying Michael Moore was really quite a the more pivot. sanctimonious Michael Moore, <laughs> yes, which I more don't think is, I yeah. don't think is, I didn't think was doable. No, it's, it's hard to get above that. <laughs> level. And of I agree with him. No, that's the thing. I, there's nothing that he says that I don't think is like wrong. I'm definitely on his side, but man, I hate his movies now. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Anyways, I want to talk about Trailer Howard. Let's talk about Trailer Howard. I love me some Trailer Howard. Look, I'm an old school Trailer Howard fan from back in the two guys, a girl in a pizza place days. Yeah, uh, I mean, that show. Look at the people that came out of that show that became huge stars. Ryan Reynolds, Nathan Fillion, Trailer Howard. Like, great yeah. group of great group of cast. Yeah. Uh, Ryan Reynolds being one of the two guys and uh, Nathan Trailer Fillion. Howard was the, no Nathan <laughs> Fillion was the pizza place. He was the pizza place and Trailer Howard was the girl. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Then yep. the other guy, he's probably doing stuff. Yep. Yeah. He, he. I think he shows up. I think he's still working. Probably. He's not Deadpool, but oh, yeah, but none of us are except Ryan Reynolds. Ryan Reynolds is the only person that's Deadpool. Yeah. And Trailer Howard also, she went from that. She's in this movie, obviously. She was in Two Guys, A Girl on a Pizza Place. Also fantastic on Monk. But like Monk got so much better when she became the sidekick. Yeah, she, the first sidekick didn't work as well. No, um, it wasn't bad, but, but it, it didn't got have that magic that that she brought to it. Yeah, it got a lot better when she took over. Um, and like she's just. Like, very less is more mm -hmm. and, you know, very understated. And, you know, it I, I like I think that she's another person that gets that it's important for the scene to get the laugh. Yeah. She's like, I don't think there's many people that would go it's like, oh, man, that trailer Howard is so funny. But I'm sure she is. Yeah. And but she does a lot of successful comedy because she knows how to play it and she knows how to make sure the scene gets the laugh. Also, she convinces us that. She is in love with Norm MacDonald, who, like, 
look again i love norm but it's not there i mean i know that he had a kid and a wife but it's hard to think of norm mcdonald dating anyone for some reason yes <laughs> yes yeah that that i would i would i would contend that to be true as well uh, in his gigantic shirts that he wears this entire movie. Okay, I'm glad you brought that up because I and this this is credit to also this was a conversation that I had with Lars, who by the way, uh when when if you're listening, first of all, listen to Hobo Radio, the uh Mabel Memorial Hobo Madness tournament that we're doing this year that Andy is on uh with with uh, the rest of us. Hey, and that's the, me. And the whole gang, and we're doing a, a people versus animals tournament. But if you listen to that, when we get to the last episode of that, we invite Lars on to actually talk about dirty work, which you can hear that he is not on this episode. Wait, however, what? however, he might might be on next week for whatever we're talking about hmm. in next hmm. week's show, because it might be possible that whatever we're doing next week was even more enticing to Lars than this movie that he loves. Yeah, that the, the, whatever comes out of the blue next week. But... Um, he and I had a conversation about this movie and I, I can't remember which one of us. So I'm going to collectively say that it was both of us came up with this theory together, which is that we believe, and this is one of those, give us all the YouTube clicks, all that this is going to change the way you view this movie. But we contend that he is wearing Artie Lang's costumes and Artie Lang is wearing his costumes in this movie. I think that happened. I think that at some point they had a shirt for Artie and they had a shirt for Norm and they just decided to wear each other's shirts. And I think that's what happened. I, I, I think you have, you, I think you're right. Yeah, because Artie Lang is wearing very tight shirts and Norm MacDonald is wearing stuff that is way too baggy for him. It's just enormous clothes. And it's not explained. It's never commented on. It's just true. And I have to believe they just wore each other's shirts. Yeah. Probably, um, I would imagine as a prank... Where Norm Macdonald just took Artie's shirts so that he would have to wear his. Yes. Um, and I'm sure Saget's like, nope, now we got to do it. Through. We got to go back and reshoot. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Yeah. So that's there you go. That's my theory on the giant shirts. I, th I, I, I think I don't think that's a theory, my friend. I think that is that is canonically fact now. Yep. There you go. Um, yeah, this movie. Can we talk about? Shooter McGavin himself. Can we talk about Chris McDonald? I mean, I got to pull my finger out of this dog's butthole to do so. But yeah, <laughs> because we've talked. He's come up on this show a number of times. Friend of the show, Chris McDonald. And hopefully future guest. God, I hope future guest. He's I think. He's on the list because of like he's not. I think number one is Malin Ackerman. I think isn't that what we decided? Like she's the number one guest. Yes. Yeah, she's she's high up on the list. I mean, Nick Cage would be a dream. Oh, Nick that. Cage! I mean, that's 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 the dream. We retire if Nick Cage does this show. Yes, if Nick Cage shows up at Nick Cage month. Yeah, done. that's that's it. We we all go home. But uh, but Chris McDonald, look, I mean, these types of movies that you know are obviously this. I think the stuff Adam Sandler was doing in the nineties, uh, or even just a long tradition of. You know, a movie where there's a hero and there's some sort of mustache twirling villain that's, you know, trying to close the rec center, trying to win the golf tournament, trying to whatever. 
I would argue that I don't think anyone has ever been better than Chris McDonald at being it because you hate him instantly. And like, I want to believe, and I don't have enough of a background to say one way or the other. I want to believe that he is the nicest man on the planet. I think he'd have to be because I don't think he would get the work if he wasn't. If he was in any way as smarmy as the douches that he plays on screen, he I don't think he could be around him. No. But man, like he just does smarmy so well. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's great. Like he's he's a great villain. And that is why I'm going to we kind of teased it earlier, but I'm going to say it again and I'm going to manifest it someday. He should play Vince McMahon in hopefully what is a scathing (laughs) biopic. One day, like, I mean, he would be so perfect as as Vince Vincent Kennedy McMahon. It would. Yeah. No notes. I would love to see it happen, even if it's like the thinly veiled, uh, not too dissimilar from a movie we might watch next week with maybe a Mr. Lars Periwinkle, where it's not a direct, you know, biopic, but it's very clearly inspired by something. Yeah. No, if he needs to play, you know, uh, Stan McKinnon or something. Yeah. Owner of the World Alliance Wrestling. Yeah. Dan McVincent. <laughs> something. Yeah. Something. Something. Um, I think Kennedy McVince. Eddie McVince. Kennedy McVince. <laughs> Ken McVincity. There it is. Ken McVincity. <laughs> Owner um, of the World Wildlife Fund. <laughs> who gets sued by a wrestling company <laughs> for confusing international IP rights. Um no, Christopher McDonald is so good. And I think that the other thing that works is that he, as an actor, is so willing to lose and so willing to look vulnerable and so willing to just take the beating that his character deserves and like kind of relish it. Like that's it's great. Which I think is super important in this movie and probably more important in this than in something like Happy Gilmore, because I like Adam Sandler and I like his movies, but Sandler has a tendency to just play very inherently likable characters. Like they're they're really fun people that you already root for. But for all the reasons that we've discussed previously in this, I mean, again, Norm Macdonald loves play like he loves pushing the envelope. He loves again. He's a guy who tells a homeless guy, here's your two dollars. Like he's not playing a, a home run just lovable guy so you do need someone who who is because i almost want to say that norm's an anti-hero in some ways like well no he his character is objectively mean and you know his heart's in the right place but he's not a good person so you need someone truly evil to be the antagonist to make him look all the better Mm -hmm. and i think that that is a you know, very important service that Chris McDonald offers. Yeah. And he's, he's great at it and he's, um, he's great on hacks and he's great in everything. Yeah. No, he's, I love him and I please Chris, if you're listening and we know you are hit us up. Well, we'll talk about any of your movies that you would like. Jenna Malone is our number one guest 
that's she's the yes. top of our guest list. Yes, is, is Jenna Malone? Yeah, that is, that is. Yeah, she's at the top. It, well, she might be second to Nick Cage, but Jenna Malone is is friend of the show. Did they do a movie together? Because then book it. Yeah, I would. Can all th- can can we do a movie where Jenna Malone and Malin Ackerman play? Sis- oh no, I've got it. All right, okay, here it is. Mm-hmm. Chris McDonald mm-hmm. plays Ken McVincity. Right. <laughs> uh, and then his daughters are uh, played by Malin Ackerman and Jenna Malone. Her, his daughters, uh, Shane and Stephanie. I was going to say Shana. Nope, just Shane. Yeah, okay. <laughs> and then uh, Nick Cage plays Eric Bischoff. Oh, no, did you, Nick Cage plays Jim Ross. We already decided he's in the Jim Ross biopic. This is all in the Jim Ross bio. This is all, this is Slobberknocker that yeah. Malin Ackerman plays Shane McMahon, Jenna Malone plays Stephanie, uh, Kennedy, and then um, yeah, and then Chris McDonald plays uh, Ken McVincity. And to recap, uh, Christopher Walken plays the King. Yes, and uh, Rob Lowe plays Eric Bischoff. Yes, and Paul Giamatti plays Paul Heyman. <laughs> and it's the best. And we win every Oscar. Yeah, one hundred percent. Uh, Can I just throw yeah. in another pitch in there? Sure. Nick Offerman is Mick Foley. Yes. No <laughs> notes. And as The Rock, Dave Batista. I love it. <laughs> and as Dave Batista, Dwayne Johnson. It keeps getting better. <laughs> um, I, 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 I really. This movie is so funny. And I talked about uh, Cabin Boy being very like formative to my comedic sensibilities, and I think this movie is right up there in that list for me. Uh, I, it's it's so good. I think it's actually a miracle that this movie exists because I can't imagine how they got it made. That like you know, not that that doesn't seem like that would be a feasible idea for a podcast to try to figure out how movies got made. Right, but- movies that like yeah, I. You'd have to have like really funny people. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you'd have to have three of the funniest people on the planet, like just three absolutely skilled comedic actors nailing and improvisers just like really that like are impeccably timed. Probably two of them like in a relationship together. Maybe. So that they had that chemistry going as well. Sure, 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 sure. And the other one just Um, an agent of chaos. (laughs) Yeah. Just an, an utter, uh wild card whirling dervish but no i mean the fact that norm Macdonald was given a movie that he starred in that is and wrote and wrote that is him that it's not they're not trying to make him something else that's not like this is distilled norm Macdonald comedy into an 80 minute movie yeah like this i think more than his stand-up uh, more than his tenure on Weekend Update, I think this gets closest to probably what it's like to hang out with Norm Macdonald in some ways. Which is not true because you can't hang out with Norm Macdonald. Like, that is the most true thing about him when he was alive is that he was one of the most antisocial people on the planet. Yeah. So he would never hang out with anyone. But if he did for some reason, it would have probably been something like this. Yeah. That, like, it, it, but this movie, like, he. Almost got carte blanche to make the exact movie he wanted to make. The studio stepped in and, and made some changes afterwards, but. I do. It would be amazing to at least see the original cut. Like, I would love to know. Yes. What was cut? 
Because I bet yeah. there was some stuff left on. Like, oh, I mean, this, this movie, like, another thing I was like, do, like, this movie is very efficient in getting through the plot and hitting all the jokes. There's not a lot of wasted motion in this movie. No. And it, and, it, it, and it doesn't feel rushed either, which I think is pretty impressive. No, it feels about like the right amount of time. It doesn't feel too short, but yeah, it, it hits the beats. Yeah. And it. it I think. Arguably one of my favorite jokes in the movie, and I think I've said that nine times this episode already, um, is when they mess up the performance of Don Giovanni. <laughs> yes. And there's the one guy who believes it's all part of the show and is just standing ovation at the end. Tears clapping. He's everyone else has run out of the theater by the end. And he's just. It's uh, uh. also just again, we could sit here and spend another hour just dissecting every joke that we love. But I love in that scene, too. You're ruining Don Giovanni. Who's that guy? The, the like the, the opera. Oh yeah, no, I am ruining that. <laughs> Just amazing. Yes. Um. Uh, this movie. I've thoroughly. I I'm very much looking forward to our final episode of the month. Um. I, it's going to be really fun. Uh. But I've really enjoyed the first seventy five percent of the movies that we've done this month. No, it's been a blast. I'm going to be sad when this month is over. And I, I'm excited for, I mean, May is always a fun month because it's Revenge of the Guest and we have our, some of our favorite guests come back and watch some great movies. So stay tuned for some of your favorites from, from the past year and some people that I think we just owe it to. Yes. And we do look at it as like who got it the worst, who deserves yeah, who did, to pick whatever they want. What stranger that we connected with through social media did we just really, really hurt? And yes. how can we make it up to them? Yes. One of them might have been mentioned earlier in this. Maybe. Uh, but yeah. Maybe. But no, this month has been a blast. This episode has been a blast. And I think there's only one thing we have left to do before we call it quits for today. You are making a movie with Carrot Top, right? I made a movie with Carrot Top. Okay. <laughs> but uh, what's the movie going to be called? Really? Well, I know what it's going to be called. Yeah, what's that? <laughs> If it's got Carrot Top in it, you know what a good name for it would be? What's that, Norm? Box Office Poison. There's this movie coming out. Yes. Title undetermined at this point. Chairman of the board. Oh. All right. Do something with that, you freak. <laughs> I, I bet the board is spelled B-O-R-E-D. Silver Linings Playback is a production of Hobotrashcan.com. If you enjoyed the show, please rate or review it on Apple Podcasts. Hear more great shows on the Peak Sloth Podcast Network, like this one. This is Philip And Katie. And Bridget. And we're three friends who like movies. Especially movies of yore when we were small and everything seemed awesome. Now we're revisiting these bright shining beacons of our youth and figuring out if they are for real. So sit back and relax and revisit the best. The worst. And everything in between from the 80s and 90s. And find out. Is, is it for real? real?